So good to see everybody tonight in the house of the Lord. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me. Man, I'm not just quoting scriptures. I couldn't wait to get here tonight. I came early and Brother Tom normally do some things. I just did his job. I was just too glad to be here. I said, later, I'm doing everything. I'm just glad to be in the house of the Lord. And so I came and I uh, just want to enjoy being in the house of God. Never gets old. Don't let the coming into the house of the Lord get old. Sometimes people think they know. You don't never know what God is going to do. Tell your neighbor, you never know what God is going to do. And a lot of times we judge, you know, what God is going to do depending on what we, how we approach uh, our services, whether it be Bible study or prayer meeting or, or church. Uh, we, we make decisions because we think, well, I know what God is going to do. Uh, well, the pastor is going to talk about this and he might talk about that. And so we said, ah, I'll catch him next time around. But you don't know what God is going to do. And so every opportunity you get, you say, I'm going to see what God wants to do in my life. I'm going to see what God wants to do in the kingdom of God. So let's get into it. Um, we've been talking about continuing the mission, continuing the mission. Um, let me start out by saying this. You don't have to put your hand up. Because I don't want to put you out there, but I'm going to ask you this question because this is the question I need for you to ask yourself continually. Who are you discipling and how many people did you invite to church this week? Who are you discipling and how many people did you invite to church this week? Every week, every day, every month, you're supposed to be asking yourself that question. Who are you discipling and who did you invite to church this week? Every day, every week, every month. Ask yourself this question and don't cease to ask yourself this question. Don't take it easy on yourself when you ask yourself this question. Don't make excuses for yourself, but ask yourself the question and be honest in your response. That's what you want to do. That's the purpose of why I've been talking about what I've been talking about. Because we just don't want to obtain information. We're not into just obtaining information. Obtaining information is not good enough. There's a lot of people with information and doing nothing with it. The devil have a lot of information. What is he doing? And so information is not enough just having information that's not enough it's what we do with the word of god that we learn or that we're instructed to carry out what do we do with it so we're going to continue to talk about continuing the mission the lesson's big idea says this since jesus final instruction to the disciples was the plan to reach the world with the message of the gospel we must continue the mission until all the world has been reached. Since Jesus' final instructions, remember, we always got to remember. Uh, we want to hear people's final words before they die, right? We like to know what was the last thing they said before they die. 
Everybody like to record that. What was the last thing they said before they left? What, what kind of instruction did they leave you before they left? Or what kind of, what did they say before they died? We always want to hear those last words. And Jesus made his last words count when he gave instructions to them about continuing the mission. And so we know for the past few weeks we've been discussing it. We said the mission is called the Great Commission. Where do we find the mission or the Great Commission in the Bible? Where do we find the Great Commission in the Bible? Anyone? What is it? Okay, and what verse? Uh, uh, uh. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, is correct. But 19 and 20 is the key verse. The Great Commission is Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 key verses. That's where he get downright straightforward to let us know what we ought to do. He says in Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so those are the two key verses that's telling us about the great co-mission. And so we broke those scriptures down so we would understand it. Remember we said the great commission that Jesus gave his disciple, the first thing he told him was to do was to what? There you go. The first thing he told them to do is go. So it, we, we clarified that if all you do is go to church, are you going? You can't be going. You, let's look at it like this. When he was assembled with them to give them instruction, that was church. You following me? So when he gathered with his disciples to give them instruction, this is what we're doing right here. You know, we try to, I don't know how we characterize church in our mind, but we're having church right now. And so when he gathered with them to give them instruction, that was church. So he in church told them, all right, now I need you to go. And we say go meant to depart, to travel, to journey. You got to move from the place where you are. If all you do is stay in church. And you never go, you can't exercise doing the Great Commission. You can't, uh, as we like to say, put into action what he instructed the disciples to do. So the first thing we have to do is go. We talked about go mean for us in this day and age is to travel, go places in your day throughout the week, whether it's to the supermarket, sometimes you might have one thing that you need to get and you might say, oh man, I can't be bothered going to ShopRite just for some butter. You got to change your mindset. 
I will go to ShopRite just for some butter because I am going to be looking to see if there's somebody at ShopRite that I can engage in conversation about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So we have to make it intentional when we say we're going to obey Jesus when he says go. So when you drop your kids off the school, okay, you drop them off the school, but are you paying attention? Are you looking like, okay, is there another mom, another dad that I can connect with and talk to? Go. When you go to the restaurant, do you, are you friendly enough where somebody says, hey, how are you? You know, I think I know you. And they don't know you. You're just smiling a whole lot. And so they think they know you, but they don't know you. But that's your opportunity to befriend them. Go. Somebody tell your neighbor, go. That's how you go. So in case you don't know how you go, that's how you go. You're going to go places with the intention that I will meet somebody today. I will encounter somebody that I can begin to tell them about the gospel, about Jesus, or just invite them to church. That's what I have to do. Then the next thing the scripture told us to do was to teach. Okay. Teaching, we says, mean to make disciples. Disciples are students, learners, or pupil. One that follows Jesus. So if you right now don't have the capability to make disciples, at the very least, what should you be doing? Inviting. Inviting. So if you're not one to be able to explain the gospel message, don't get frightened. Just make sure you have a church card and say, hey, I want to invite you to church. And just invite them to church. It's the same. It's one and the same. Inviting them to church and explaining the message to them is one and the same. If you can't explain the message, just invite them. If you can't explain the message, then go ahead and explain them, explain it and still invite them. So we need to make sure we're doing that. Make disciples. Then it says baptize them. And we know we don't baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Ghost. Because nobody in the Bible has ever been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Ghost. We clarified that. We says Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. So you can't baptize somebody into something that's, that, that he didn't tell you to do. He says baptize them in the name which is Jesus Christ. And so we know we, once we start discipling them, they come to know who Jesus is. They get baptized in the name. And then after they get baptized in the name, it says, teach them, which means a prolonged teaching and learning to equip the disciple for his or her lifetime purpose in Christ. Can I tell you something? This is important for you to know. Since you understand that what I'm saying has been important and we really need to do it. All God needs is one of us to just obey what I've been teaching. Just one. Just one. If one of us can say, I am going to obey that, you will set this place on fire and you will do great work for God. If just you, just you, whoever you are, will say, I am going to do those things. And so here is why it's important. Here's why it's important. Man, I thank God. Some behavioral psychologists suggest that a child's character is fully developed who they're going to become by their seventh birthday. 
That's what, you know, these scholars say. By their seventh birthday, whoever they're going to be, will be. All they're going to do from that point on now is just to be mature, get mature. But who they generally are at that point, that's who they're going to be at seven years old. Why did I tell you that? Because the natural always mimic the spiritual. And so, for some of you in here, go back and check your time. What year are you in? Because if you don't get into the mode of, if you don't get into the mode of understanding that I have to be a disciple maker, if you get to that seventh year, eighth year, and you never become that, chances are you won't become that. And when you don't become that, you are now challenged in being up and down as a Christian. You're now challenged. You'll find yourself backsliding and coming back and backsliding and coming back. You'll find yourself being tossed in the wind to and fro. Today you're okay. Next week you're not. Because you never establish a foundation of being a disciple maker. Man, I'm giving you something that's, that, that's life changing. It's, I, I can prove it to you every time. I am so grateful that within my seventh year of being in church, I was able to, to make sure prayer was a foundation. Disciple making was foundation. Uh, worshiping was a foundation. So at the seventh year, that's who I was going to be. For those of you that has been in this longer than seven years and, and, and you didn't get that going in the seventh year, that's where you got to say to God, Listen, Lord, you are the potter and I am the clay. What I need for you to do is to remake me and remold me and reshape me so I can be a disciple maker. So I can be one that is a prayer warrior, one that will just execute the plan of God. Because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves, whatever you are, from your one year old to your seventh year old in Christ. Whatever you are, that's what you're going to be. Scary, huh? Well, that's why I'm pushing you so hard. Because you're going to find yourself. All I'm trying to get you to do, first of all, obviously, is to, is to please God. But the second thing I'm trying to get you to do is not be frustrated in your Christian walk and make it more challenging than it should be. And that's what happened when we don't become disciple makers. We find ourselves in places where it's, how did I end up here? And let's, let me tell you. Did I have challenges in my life as a Christian and did, did things happen to me where maybe I wasn't as spiritual as I needed to be? Yes, but here is the trick. Because I was always a disciple maker, I was able to get back on track because I always knew what I needed to go back to doing. When you're not a disciple maker and you get yourself in trouble spiritually, you don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. And when the preacher's talking, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you walk out of the building, you can't do it. Because you never had that foundation. But for me, when I got into jams, I always realized, Wayne, you know what the issue is, right? Go back to what you know God established you to do. And so I just go back to that. So disciple making is that thing that no matter how hard life gets, 
No matter how much you're struggling, no matter how much you feel like I'm not in a good place spiritually, when you are a disciple maker, you will always go back to saying, I'll go tell somebody about the gospel. I'll go teach a Bible study. I'll go and invite somebody to church. And that will get you back on track. Did I tell you about, some of you may have heard this story. I've got a good friend named Danny Aber. He is from Las Vegas. And Danny Aber is one that make disciples. And Danny Aber always took this position. Anytime life gets challenging and hard for him, he just stopped doing everything and says, I'm going, he says, he says it out loud. He says, devil, I'm going to go witness to five people if you don't leave me alone. And every time the devil give him trouble, five people get witnessed to. I mean, serious get witnessed to. I mean, he throw out everything. He said, I'm going to witness to five people because the deal is, you don't want me pulling nobody from out of your claws, devil. And so you messing with me, I'm going to witness to five people. And they're going to walk away from you and live for God. And that's because you started messing with me. That's how he rolled. He's been rolling like that for years. My point of telling you that is, what if he didn't experience that? He would be struggling and be fussing and cussing because life is just hard. But when you know about disciple making, you says, okay, all right, that's what's going on. Okay, I'll fix that. I'll fix that. And sometimes we think prayer is the thing that fixes it. Am I telling you that prayer? Uh, am I not saying prayer don't fix it? Yeah. But guess what? Sometimes you pray and nothing happens because it's just the season that you have to go through. And the only thing that will inspire you when you're going through that season is helping somebody reach God. Where's my phone? I wanted to give you all the exact quote that the, 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 the psychologist um, the clinical psychologist at Rutgers University, when I went to that graduation, that they told me these are worldly people, but they're psychologists. That you get your fulfillment and joy will come when you deposit and put your life into somebody else's life and they start doing well. That's where you get most of your joy from. This is worldly people. I'm not telling you scripture. These are not godly people. But study has shown psychologists that when you begin to help others and their life become better, that's where you will experience true joy. Psychologists telling us that. And we still playing games. All about, let me get a selfie. We, we still trying to get a selfie and don't realize selfie don't make you happy. Selfie don't make your life better. Your life get better when you put it in somebody else's life. I'm sure Brother Darrell feels his oldest son just graduated from college and Brother Darrell is one of those guys. I mean, he, he, he sacrificed his life to pay his son college tuition the entire time he was in college. He will always feel good. He will always, he will, no matter how bad things get, he will always know, you know what? I, I have some kind of value or worth because I deposited my son's life and he went to school and graduated and this wasn't no, um, um, he didn't get no, no, no loans from this one. I did it. And look at my son now. That's a great accomplishment and that's where you feel the most fulfillment in. So while we're trying to get selfies and try to always feel good about ourselves, it, it's, it's short-lived. It, and you really don't feel good about yourself. What they say, people that's always on Facebook are the most discouraged people. Because everybody on Facebook is lying and you reading and thinking, well, why is this not happening to me? Because they lying too. 
So we all fooling each other. Everybody on Facebook looking. Oh man, that's what's going on. Oh man, this one is so in love and this is going so great for them and nothing is going great for me. And you feeling bad and they putting on something on Facebook that they think will make them feel better and it really didn't make them feel any better. Devil playing games. And we buying it hook, line, and sinker. When the real way of feeling good about yourself and feeling joy is when you know somebody was in a bad spot and you began to help them and you began to work with them and you see, man, their life is getting better and things are going better for them. And you, and that's what make you feel better. That's what make you feel good about yourself. Don't let the devil fool you in thinking that all your selfies, your nice clothes and you know, the nice pocketbooks and your hairstyle and, you know, your nice car is what's going to make you feel good. Mm-mm. Put, put, it's going to cost you a little something, something to feel good. You know, give, put, put yourself, you know, invest in yourself and others. So to make disciples, as we talked about, we're moving along. I'm just doing a review and then I'll add a little bit more to what we talked about. To make disciples forces us to engage in relationship. And that's why this has been a challenge. See, <clears throat> years ago, I used to talk to people and tell them about um, disciple making or soul winning. And some people would be intimidated because they would think right away I'm talking about going to knock on doors. Right away they would think I'm talking about going into the marketplace and, and, and running, walking up to people and just start talking to them. And yes, I've done that. And yes, we did it a lot. But I've matured and grown a lot since then. And what I do know is... Disciple making will be done in so many different ways. It's just, but the, the, the commonality with disciple making is engaging in conversation and relationship. That's what we got to do. So wherever you go, whether it be work, school, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the, 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 the thing that we all have to do to reach somebody is engage in conversation, engage in relationship. That's the thing we have to do. <clears throat> so I'm not telling you to come and knock doors with me this Saturday. I am going to put door knockers in door. Would love for you to come at 930. Meet me at my house if you'd like to meet me there and we can go. But that's not for everybody. I do get that. Knocking on people's door and when they open, having a word to tell them that's encouraging and enlightening to them. Everybody can't do that. I get it. But everybody was called to make disciple in one way, shape or form. And so the question is, did you find out what way you're supposed to make disciples? It might not be knocking on doors. It might not be going in the marketplace and say, Jesus is Lord and getting on a bullhorn and speaking loud. But nevertheless, you're supposed to do it in one way, shape or form. Because it's more than what you think. It's more than what you think. So we said that we have to engage in relationships. Uh, the other thing that we talked about was in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, which means locally, and in Judea, which means regionally, and in Samaria, which means culturally, and then the uttermost parts of the earth, that means internationally. And he said that we must, they will be witnesses. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we will be witnesses of Christ. Huh. And so some people receive the Holy Ghost and they just say, I got the Holy Ghost. 
And that's not the, the, what the Holy Ghost is for. I got the Holy Ghost. It's for us to be witnesses for Christ. It's for the Holy Ghost to teach us things, to help us, to comfort us. It's, it's to do so many things, but it's all for working of the purpose of God in our life. That's why we get the Holy Ghost, for the working of the purpose of God in our life. And so it's not just for us to say we have it. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work a work in us. It is of utmost importance for us to continue the mission. Did you ever wonder why? We talked about this. Ever wonder why Jesus' ministry was for three and a half years. Then after three and a half years, listen, he was born and he grew and he left here at 33 and a half years old. But he didn't start his ministry till 30 years old. So three and a half years is when he really was demonstrating his ministry. And so my question to you all was, how can Jesus, who is God in the flesh, being all-knowing, all-powerful, only train us for three and a half years and then left? When he is a whole lot better than us at doing this, why would he leave us to do what he could do better? We talked about that. Did anybody want to answer why would he leave us to do what he can do better? Why? There you go. Because he left us the Holy Ghost. And so here's the story. When Jesus walked this earth, he was reaching people by, he had his disciples with him. And as we said, they walked from, from, from state to state, if you, if you will, or from region to region. And they would walk and they would heal the sick. They would minister to people. But that was, they were limited to where they were. Even though he was almighty God in the flesh, he was limited because he couldn't be in all the different places all at once. You got it? So him leaving here was was better for us and better for him to reach people because now what he was going to do is equip us with his spirit so now there are more doing what he was doing as opposed to just one or twelve. It would be all of us who get saved that will be doing what he did by using what he used which is the power of the spirit. So he had to go away in order for him to send back the spirit so we all could do it so now you understand the real importance of the holy ghost is for us to be witnesses all throughout the world and what we can do as spirit-filled christians is more it will be it will be more that we can get done than he could have done while he was walking from Samaria to the to Judea and Jerusalem. We could do more by having the spirit throughout the world. So that's why it was important for him to leave and now send back his spirit into us. And remember, we said that uh, when the Bible talked about that we will do greater works. It didn't mean that we will do better things than Jesus did. It just means we will reach more people than he did. Yes, sir. Yes. Which bring me to my next point. Here's my next point. Here's my next point. This is so important to me. And it should be important to you. We are following so we can one day lead. We are following so we can one day lead. 
That's what this is really all about. They followed Jesus and he knew what he was doing. He was the master. He was leading them and they were following him. But what he knew is I'm leaving a little bit and they will have to now become the leaders. Here is what I'm going to tell you. And I hate the burst bubbles and it might not pertain to none of you here, but hold on to it because you're going to need to hear this again. A lot of people have been in church for a while and they, they, they're, they're failing at being good leaders because when they should have been following, they didn't. And so when the time came and somebody said, go ahead and lead, they couldn't because they didn't follow. All the time they've been in church, they were supposed to be following, but they did what they wanted. They didn't follow. And then now, here comes either the pastor or somebody that's thinking like this. Thinking like this. Oh, you've been in church about eight, nine years. You should be able to do this. And and the pastor goes and says, hey, brother so-and-so, hey, sister so-and-so, can you do so-and-so? Thinking in his mind, you should be able to do this. He was wrong, but I'm just telling you what he was thinking. You Can you do this? And he gave them a job and they crashed and burned. Because the whole time they were supposed to be following, they never did. And now when it's time for them to lead, they can't. It's very important that you follow because your time is coming when you're going to have to lead. I can't say that enough. That's where a lot of failure is taking place. People don't want to follow. So when it's time for them to lead, they fail and they don't do a good job and they make a mess and they blame everybody. But really and truly, you didn't follow all those times you were supposed to be following. And, and, and you just feel like just, just being in church for a certain amount of time means that you were equipped to lead. And that's not true. It's not true that you've been in church seven years. You've been in church five years. You've been in church. That, that, that really equips you to lead. No. And then there's somebody that could be in church two years, three years. That's ready to lead because you know why? Those two and three years, they followed like nobody else's business. Again, good excuse I'll use. I was in church, I don't know, maybe a year. Back then, the choir didn't have robes. And so every second and every fourth Sunday, they would wear black, all black, and sing. I wasn't in the choir. Guess what I did every second and fourth? I wore black. I wasn't in the choir! Wasn't singing! I just said, that's what they're doing. I'm doing that too. So every second Sunday and every fourth Sunday, here I come. Black shirt, black jacket, black suit, black socks, black shoes, black tie. Let's go. And the choir singing. I'm in the back. Yeah. And I wasn't in the choir. Because when I decided this was for me and I got to know, oh, I'm following like a champ. I have no problem following. And I'm giving you a tip by telling you that how you will make the best of your time in the kingdom of God. You follow real good and God can do some things in you at a quicker time than he will somebody that's been around a long time. Because somebody will be around a long time and they weren't following. Any questions about anything about that? We all good there? All right. So let's take a look at this. The main requirement of a mature disciple 
is to reproduce themselves. Remember we said disciple and Christian is the same. Did we cover that? What's the difference between a disciple and a Christian? So why we don't call ourselves disciples? We covered that. We don't like to call ourselves disciples because now we got to think about the 12 disciples and they follow Jesus like a champ. And if I call myself a disciple, all of a sudden now, you telling me I got to do what the 12 disciples did? So it's more comfortable for us as Christians. I'm a Christian. When in actuality, disciple, Christian, same thing. But you feel a whole lot better calling yourself a Christian because it means it's not that serious. That's what we're saying. Less responsibility if I say I'm a Christian. But if I ever mess up and call myself a disciple, oh, I got to go witnessing. Oh, I got to pray. But that's what a Christian's supposed to do too. Yeah. So the main requirement of a mature, that word mature is the key word, of a mature disciple or Christian is to reproduce themselves. Reproducing oneself is making disciples. So when he says, go ye and teach, it's saying make disciples, which means you're reproducing yourself. Again, I said it at the beginning. Every day, every week, every month, ask yourself this question. Am I discipling anybody and am I inviting people to church? Every day, every week, every month, ask yourself these questions. Am I discipling anybody and am I inviting anybody to church? Because if you're not, then what you're saying is you're not a mature Christian. That's what you're saying. All right. We can live for God and have good morals. I talked about this. Joy and fulfillment in Christ. But if we are not taking someone on the journey with us, then we have not discovered our ultimate purpose as Christians slash disciples. So if you're not taking someone on a journey, it could be your children. It could be a nephew. It can be a spouse. It can be your mom, your dad, your aunt. It can be anybody. But who are you taking on this journey with you? Remember we said... There's only one thing you can take to heaven with you. There's only one thing you can take to heaven with you. What's that? Souls. Yep, disciples. We can only take disciples to heaven with us. Which to me, this is how I look at it. How am I going to show my proof of why I belong in heaven? This is me now. I'm probably not in the Bible. But what I'm saying is, if if... If souls, disciples, is the only thing we can take to heaven, I'm taking me some. So when I get there, I can say, Lord, here's here's what I've done. I can show him what I've done in heaven. As opposed to getting to heaven and the Lord have to ask me some questions. And I got to be like, all right, okay, let me work with this. No, I want him. I want to be able to say, "Mm mm-hmm. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yes, sir. What's that? I don't know. I wouldn't even get it. I, I, I don't know, brother. I don't know if, if the stones on the crown will mean a soul that you won. 
I don't know. But I just know this. He gave us his spirit for us to be a witness for him. And by being a witness for him, we are supposed to be discipling others. And by discipling others and they get saved and they get to heaven, I know that will exemplify or, or, or be able to prove the work that I did while I was living on this earth obeying God. Now everybody else can roll the dice and says, well, I know I live right. Okay. Brother D, I don't work like that. I'm not just going to tell somebody, well, I know I live right. No, I want to do it right so God can say, all right, here's the work. I can see. You did some work. So who are we taking on the journey with us? That's disciple making. That's reproducing yourself. Ask yourself again. Am I making disciples? Who am I taking on the journey? Am I inviting people to church? We have to ask ourselves that. Making disciples are not reserved for specially gifted and talented people. We talked about that, right? That is not gifted and talented people. We covered that in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 1 through, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 through 5 where it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And so we said the church came under attack and all the Christians, they scattered and the apostles, they stayed because they were given instruction to stay. Verse 2 said, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. They cried because he was stoned and killed. As for Saul, we know he was Saul before he became Paul. He made havoc of the church entering into every house, hollering men and women and committing them to prison. Verse 4 is the key verse here. Therefore they that were scattered, the church people, not the apostles, therefore they that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word, making disciples. So in case you thought that when you got the Holy Ghost, it was only for you to be good and, you know, you know, be able to praise God and, 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 and making disciples is only for certain people. Acts chapter 8, 1 through 5 will tell you that making disciples and being a witness is for everybody. We're going to all do it differently, but it's for everybody. And the main key is what I said earlier about this. You will do less struggle in your walk with God if you get on board with this making disciple, man, if you can just trust me on this, if you ever get someone in your life that you are helping to know who Jesus is, if you can just help one person, you will never stop doing it ever again. You will never stop doing it again. Because what it does is, if you get one person in heaven, I told you, the first person I ministered to in a Bible study was my mother-in-law. And she died and went to heaven. You think I am going to miss heaven? (laughs) You're losing your mind. No. But that's the mindset you start to get. When you start to help people know who Jesus is and they start to get, no matter how rough it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, you just keep on holding on to say, you know what? God put me here to help others. 
You know, one, I told you one of the things that I said for years that when, 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 you know, young marriage is struggling, my marriage was struggling and we were young and frustration and all kind of stuff. The first thing came, one day, not the first thing, but one day it came clear to me and I said, thank you, Jesus. I said, it's like the Lord just put in my heart and says, Wayne, I've used you to help so many people. If you will trust me, I'll make sure yours is okay. So all while my marriage was struggling and there's a lot of people that had struggles and over the years there's some people that didn't make it. And I believe the reason why I'm still married today is because I invested in others. When people's stuff was messed up, I said, I'm coming. You need me to help you? And I went and I went in love. I didn't go to try to take sides. I didn't go to try to mess with anything other than how can I help these two people have the best relationship they can possibly have? And I did that so much that when mine wasn't good, God promised me if I would trust him and just keep on doing what he called me to do, mine will be fine. It's the same thing with soul. You can't not reap if you don't sow. And if you sow into somebody's life, God will see to it that you will be all right. This is so the key to everything. It is so the key. Mm. And so, witnessing this for everybody. You have within you what the people that you encounter every day need. You don't even realize it. You, you underestimate yourself. Man, you don't know what you possess. You just open your mouth and you begin to speak and you will begin to help people's life like you wouldn't believe. You will begin to do things that, that people say, how? Well, some, and sometimes when you open your mouth, God will just begin to speak through you and you'll give somebody a good answer. You'll give somebody great direction and you'll walk away saying, whoa, where did that come from? Because you opened your mouth and you spoke as opposed to staying quiet. Reproducing ourselves is in others are undoubtedly the ultimate goal and demonstration of a full, mature Christian. If you are a mature Christian, you will experience reproduction in your life if you're mature. Here is the thing that you're not going to like me to say, but it's the truth. If you're not reproducing yourself... It means you're not a mature Christian. I know that hurts a little bit, but I'm telling you the truth. You want me to prove it in the natural? You don't see no nine-year-old reproducing himself, do you? You don't see no six-year-old reproducing himself, do you? And if we want to be technical, if we train them up right and keep a good hand on them, you wouldn't see no 15-year-old and no 16-year-old reproducing themselves if they was in the right environment. You wouldn't see that. And if you want to go deep, the reason why we have a lot of problems in our world is because immature people had had children. Man, don't get me started. So if we want to be truthful, we will see that it's immaturity that will cause us to lack reproducing ourselves. If we don't reproduce, it means we're immature and we got to eat that. It's true until you do something different. Can't get around it. Every fruit 
reproduces another perfect specimen exactly like itself. Making disciples should be as natural as a grape reproducing grapes and as a husband and wife reproducing children. Now listen to this. I'm going to mess with you now for real. Look, listen to this. Listen to this, Lukey. Drug dealers are making disciples. You ready for this one? ISIS! Gangs are making disciples. Racist people are making disciples. These people are making, they're reproducing themselves. ISIS is reproducing themselves. Drug dealers are reproducing themselves. Gangs are reproducing themselves. Racist people are reproducing themselves. Why do we think we should just chill? We've got the greatest thing known unto man, and we're doing less reproducing of any kind of people that's reproducing. What am I missing? Well, how are we going to explain our way out of that? Well, I just don't know how we're going to explain our way out of that. Because everybody, every sect of people, every group of people is trying to reproduce so their group can be bigger. And what future do they have? Zero. Zilch. But they're still doing it. And what we will do will give people an everlasting future with the almighty God. What should we be doing? We have to raise up and counter all anti-God and anti-biblical disciple making by reproducing ourselves and making disciples. Disciple making is being fruitful. I shared a post on Facebook the other day. One person responded. And I smiled. Because I know a lot of people couldn't respond. So here's the post that I shared on Facebook. Jeff Arnold was the one that spoke this word. And I shared it on Facebook. And one person, I had a couple likes. But I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew it was going to get quiet on Facebook when I put this out. Here's the, here's the post. If your only aim is just to make it to heaven, you are a cheap Christian. If your only aim is just to make it to heaven, you are a cheap Christian. You must do something for the kingdom. So what he's saying is, we all want to get to heaven for free, for zero, to do nothing and we just want to enjoy it, and we don't want to do nothing. You cheap. You cheap. I wouldn't want you to come to my restaurant when I was a waiter. You're cheap. You want to get it all and give nothing. That's what it is when we don't win souls. When we just come to church and soak up the preaching and get the preacher to tell us something good to help us through the next week, and we do nothing, we are cheap. We want something for free. You can tell people that have get over mentality. When you have a get over mentality and you come to church, you got to really become born again. 
Because if not, that get over mentality will get on you and you will be trying to get over to try to get to heaven. You can't even help it. And you don't even realize you can't get over on God. But somehow that get over mentality is, is still ruling you. And so you're trying to get to heaven for as, 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 as cheap as you can. I put that on Facebook last night and sat back and smiled. One young lady says, oh, ooh, at least she was honest. She said, ouch. Yeah, she said, ouch. I said, look, I was proud of her. She said, ouch. I said, mm-hmm, that's a big ouch. Because a lot of people are just trying to get to heaven, and they're just a cheap Christian. That's all you are, trying to get to heaven. I don't understand how we don't realize God has been good to us and have done so many things to us. And all he's asking us, can you just help me reach somebody else? And we're like, I ain't got time. Just get me to heaven. Jesus, just get me to heaven. I don't have time to help you out right now. I just got to do me. Selfie. Boop. All right, I'm almost done. Y'all, y'all, y'all. I'm, 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 I'm probably messing with you. Yeah, yeah. Ask yourself the question. Am I making disciples? Am, am I discipling anybody? Am I inviting anybody to church? And so here we are. I'm closing up. John chapter 15, verse 4. Through 8, the scripture says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit. Sometimes I wonder if we read some of these texts and what we think. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the... Uh, in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. So Jesus says you cannot bear any fruit except you abide in him. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do... Mm. If a man abide in me, he is, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Can I tell you something real quick? You want to get God to answer your prayers? You want to look like a spiritual guru? You guys, um, I show videos a lot from because of the times on the big screen on Wednesdays, on, on Thursdays when we come to Bible studies. And I show different um, um, uh, preaching. And one of the things I showed today and last week was a guy named Art Wilson. Art Wilson is a pastor in Detroit. And somehow he ministered to a girl that got healed and got saved. And she had worked at the United Nations in Manhattan. That just started something crazy. Now this dude going up to the United Nations every every month, every week, I believe, ministering, people getting filled with the Holy Ghost, God doing great things. But the clincher was, your majesty, I don't know who he is, your majesty, his wife had stage four cancer. And... Everybody in the United Nations started talking about this pastor that's teaching Bible studies and people are getting healed and getting saved. 
And so your majesty sent for the pastor, Art Hodges. And so they sent a car for him, car picked him up, drove him to this high-rise building in Manhattan. Then when he got to the high-rise building, then um, somebody came out and got him. He got in a private elevator and was taken up to a private floor where when the elevator opened, he was exposed to a big living room. He says, glass furniture all the way around. Your majesty came out and says, my wife has stage four cancer. And I heard you've been praying for people and they got healed. Him and his wife talked to your majesty and his wife, laid hands on his wife, prayed for her. Boom. Heal. No more cancer. Why? I, I told you all of that just to tell you one thing. When you get involved with what I'm telling you, that's when you will seem like the most powerful Christian. Because you're doing God's work. God's desire is for the world to know who he is and come after him. Did you know that? So when God can show off, he's going to show off. Amen. I don't think y'all getting it. There's all kind of gods out in the world. There's all kind of people that's claiming to be God. And there's all kind of religion that's claiming to be the true religion. And if you go back in your Bible, when Elijah was telling them his God is the real God and they serve false gods, what did Elijah do? He mocked them. He said, watch what my God do and watch what your God do. So it's always been this way. God is looking for opportunities to show people who he is and that he loves them so they can come after him. That's what God wants. He don't want anybody to die. He don't want anybody to not be saved. So what he's trying to do, if we will give him the opportunity to show his power, he will show his power. Why? It benefits his plan, his mission. So you think he wasn't going to heal your majesty's wife? Because your majesty probably was serving some other religion. And God was like, ooh, this is a good one. I can't wait to heal his wife so he can say, who is your God? And the man can say, Jesus Christ is my God. That's what he wants. And if you just decide to do what he called you to do and be a disciple maker, you will say, me? I prayed for that person and they received healing. I prayed for that person and they received the Holy Ghost. Me? Yeah, you. Don't have nothing to do with you. It has to do with God saying, I'm getting ready to come back and I need to reach the world. So if you all will let me work through you, I can't wait to do it. So you got to go and teach and invite people so I can show my power. But if you don't do anything, nobody will know about me and people are going to die. Because if they don't know about him, they won't, they won't serve him. If they don't know about him, they won't reach for him. So they're going to be lost in their sins. All because you decide you're going to stay quiet. All because you're just going, hey, yeah, I go to church. They're going to be lost. And God can't show his power. When Jesus talked about being fruit, being fruitful in this text, he said he is divine and we are the branches. He lets us know that without him we could do nothing and that our connection to the vine was the prerequisite to become fruitful. We stay connected to the vine when we follow the vine. 
When we follow his word, not following the vine means disconnection. Disconnection means fruitlessness because we can only reproduce what is in us. So listen to this. If you don't allow the spirit of God to work through you, the fruit of the spirit to work through you, the work of God. If you try to disciple someone without allowing the spirit to work through you, you're going to only make them become you. That's not a Christian. I don't know if you caught that. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, now you're going to reproduce just you. Your carnal ways, your fleshly ways, your non-godly ways. That's what you will reproduce without God working through you. Our kids are us, right? Okay? And if they don't got God, just how many times you, you just like, oh, Lord, they doing stuff that you didn't even show them. I don't know about you. My kids do stuff I didn't show them, and it's wrong, and they're doing it. And I never taught that to them. Why? Because I reproduce carnal people. Now, spiritual things I need to reproduce. And that's what I need to reproduce. So we got to stay connected to the vine if we want to reproduce spiritual things. All right. So we know Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, this is how I always look at this text. And some people look at it differently, but I think I'm right in the way I look at it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Stop right there. That's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just telling you, we, we, we go into all the other things, but I'm, I'm, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Can I back that up? The Bible says God is love and the Spirit is God. So to me, the fruit of the Spirit is God. Love. That's it. Now, because you have the fruit of the Spirit in you, now you will experience joy. Now you will experience peace. Now you will experience long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. That's when you experience those things, when you have the fruit. So people are saying, love is a fruit, joy is a... No, 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 no. Love can't be a fruit because love only comes from one place, and that's God who is love. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that love will reproduce all these things. Joy, peace, long suffering. So that's how you want to look at that text. I don't, want, I don't know how anybody's look at it, but I'm telling you, that's the way to look at it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So... If you have the spirit in you, here is your challenge tonight. God, who is love, is in you. How can you let somebody die and go to hell and perish where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth when you're supposed to love them? If we have God in us, and the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Can I give you a little nugget to take home with you? Never forget this. Love flows down. Say everyone, Brother D. If you are in the authority position... It is incumbent upon you to show the love before the person or the people that's 
in the inferior role. We love him because he first loved us. Shame on us as parents if when the kids act foolish, we don't love them still. Y'all getting quiet on me. Love flows down. It don't flow up. That's how it was from the beginning. For God so loved the world, it flowed down. Love always flow down. We have to figure out a way, no matter how much things are crazy, to figure out how to reach down. We are incumbent to always make sure we're reaching for the people that are in the inferior role to us. God did it for us. And while we were foolish and in our sin, it says, while we were yet sinners, God died for us. He showed us love when we were a mess because he was in the superior position and we was in the position of inferiority. So he reached down. He didn't wait for us. Well, I'm not moving until you show me some love. Ooh, I'm not moving. I'm God almighty. I'm not doing anything until you do something. Is that what he said? So I'm just leaving that peace with you tonight. Love flows down. And whatever we have to do for the people that we that supposed to look up to us, we got to go down to their level. Whether they want to treat us good or bad, that ain't the point. I got to go to them. Because I am in the, the position of responsibility. God was in the position of responsibility. So it didn't matter if we act a fool, if we treated him bad. He was in the position of responsibility. So he loved anyhow. And was he hurt when some of us didn't love him back? Sure. Still today God hurting because we're not loving him back. But did that stop him from loving us? Okay. So back to what we're saying. The fruit of the spirit is love. When love is in you, you can't see people dying in their sins and not be heartbroken. When love is in you, you can't see people going to hell and not say, God, what can I do to help them? We can't. We got to let the love of God that's in us flow so we can reach these people and not let them go to hell. It is incumbent upon us as people of God to reproduce ourselves, to make disciples. And every day we need to ask ourselves, am I discipling anybody? Am I inviting anybody to church? Because it's incumbent upon me to obey God and reproduce myself. And so, I close with this. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Listen to this. What did he say? If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciple. Can I tell you what you probably missed in reading that text? Let's look at it again. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. You can believe and not be a Christian. You can believe and not be a disciple. Now, you're challenged. 
Because the only way we're going to become disciples is if we continue in his word indeed. How do we do that? We obey his word. That's how. So saying I believe is not good enough. This is why I can't just confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. Because I can do that and put no action behind it. I will just obtain some information and knowledge. But being a Christian, being a disciple, it means I am continuing. I'm living and walking in the word of God. And that's what makes me a Christian and a disciple is following and obeying God's word. But just believing, I might not make it just believing. I just gave you the scripture. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed, so they believed them. I mean, we, we, this is kind of elementary. Think about it. How many times you say, yeah, I do believe that, but because we just want to do what we want to do. So I believe, but man, I just can't do that right now. So it's true. You know that's true, that you can believe and that's all. Verse 32 says, and ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Here we go again. It's not good enough just to believe. You have to continue in his word. When you continue in his word, you will know the truth. The truth is Jesus. What is truth? Truth is a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that, so he called himself truth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So if you continue in the word, you will know God. This is why believing is not good enough. Believe and you won't reproduce yourself. You have to know him. And the way you know him is by continuing in his word. And that's when you will know him. And that's when you will know truth. Let me drop this last thing on you. It doesn't cost much to be a believer. But it costs you everything to be a disciple. This is why we don't like to call ourselves Christians. It costs you everything. But to be a believer, uh, you can casually come to church. You can casually say things on Facebook. You can casually just quote some scriptures and you're good. Don't really cost you much. But if you are going to be a disciple, it's going to cost you everything. Stand with me and let's pray as we dismiss. Does anybody have any questions?